I'm just letting Simon in because he was insisting. Yeah, if I fall asleep, Simon can take over. Yeah, he knows all about Magic the Gathering. He mostly knows about jumping up onto desks. This is the dog set, so... Maybe not the ideal set for Simon. No, when are we getting a cat set? We'd have to go back to Almond Cat. Mm -hmm. That's the closest we've come to a cat set, I think. Where are the cat warriors? Are they on Dominaria? The cat warriors? Whoever, like, Miri is from. I guess maybe that's... Oh, that is Dominaria. Yeah. But that's... I mean, there's more of those on Naya and yeah. Mirrodin. Yeah, true. <laughs> and Theros, but Theros sucks. That's kind of weird that we haven't gotten, like, a full-on cat-themed anything yet. I think we'd get there at some point. Okay, Simon, that's really not going to work. <laughs> Do you just see a tail right now? Yep. I think I know where Simon is. Yep, he's rubbing up against the boom. Excuse me, that's going to be very noisy. You can be down there. Goodbye, Simon. Yeah, he'll be back. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 212 of the MTG Grindcast, the spookiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Rapple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. I'm so I'm so glad you did the voice for that. Yeah. <laughs> Just really selling it. Well, the actually I'm a little ashamed because I didn't think of a Halloween type pun for your name the way that they do on like, you, you know, like the Simpsons. episodes. Right, yeah. Treehouse of Horror episodes and stuff well i gave you all five seconds yeah so it's probably not sufficient time for a joke of the quality you'd like no i'll i'll come up with one later i mean we are actually just really far away from halloween so it's not that that big of a deal we can do it for the i guess the crimson vow one is like well after halloween right the innistrad sets are like bookending halloween like a month and a half before and after yeah, that's kind of weird, but at least Halloween is surrounded by Innistrad sets. <laughs> I guess we can draft some like monster movie Innistrad for Halloween. Or well, is that going to be a... after? Does that have Crimson Vow and... The double feature thing? Yeah. I have no idea when that I... comes out. Yeah, I mean, it must be after Crimson Vow comes out if it's a double feature because it has both sets, right? That's the whole thing. So Yeah. Crimson Vow comes out on the 19th of November, so it's like mid-November as opposed to late. Though I guess it's like the same time this one's coming out, because this one comes out on Thursday in Arena. By the time everyone listens to this, it's just going to be on Arena. I know, it's just out and standard has rotated. Which, you know, thank God. I was texting with Philip today about how we are very excited for this, because simultaneously, like, all of the format defining cards and ones that we're really really tired of playing with and seeing on twitch streams are gone and also the new set looks like really cool yeah it looks really fun there's a lot of cool cards on it uh power level is a little flatter than i was expecting mm -hmm. it's not a bad thing it's just i was expecting a little more adventurous designs but they didn't really do that yeah i mean there's some neat cards here there's some like retreads of old ideas there's several like slightly strictly better versions of classic standard effects which is kind of funny uh, yeah one of the ones that stood out to me was like a flash three one for two mana 
that's mm-hmm. also a, a Kasali Pride Mage. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, oh, that's neat that we're just giving this flash now. It's, okay, I'm, I'm for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't quite put that card on my list, but like that type of card generally just sees play. Like it's like a Rexage type of thing in a color that doesn't always get those. So, you know, like there, there's just like effects here that are nice. And I, I think there are some pretty creative cards too. So hopefully we'll be able to make some fun games out of it. I think so. And hopefully Crimson Vow keeps up the trend because this set is does look really fun. Yeah. And if Crimson Vow also has... Uh, flashback investigate like two of the best mechanics ever mm-hmm. uh yeah, I'll, I'll be pretty happy yeah uh so do we just want to like kick things off start with white yeah start with white two top fives oh, yeah. yeah yeah let's do that yeah so we're just doing our normal top five from each color thing uh these aren't like super scientifically developed processes or anything it's not even necessarily like this isn't our standard set review thing or and it's just like cards that will be important in constructed formats that like are worth paying attention to or we are excited about to play no like specific metrics here yeah i mostly considered standard because it's more of a power level thing mm-hmm. but I, if i think of things in other contexts i'll definitely say something yeah default is we're talking about standard and if we think about any other format while we're talking about a card we'll like identify it specifically uh so for white my number five card is sun gold sentinel this is a one in a white three two human soldier whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks exile up to one target card from a graveyard and it has coven uh so this is these are abilities that only work if you have three creatures with different powers in play three different powers of creatures in play so it has an activated ability, one in a white, choose a color. Sun Gold Sentinel gains hexproof from that color until an end, end of turn and can't be blocked by creatures of that color this turn. Activate only if you control three or more creatures with different powers. So this isn't like a world beater card or anything to me, but I think it is a solid two drop, particularly if the format has just some incidental graveyard stuff and you're snagging like flashback spells out of their graveyard that you don't want them to cast again or... Things are getting pumped by stuff in their graveyard and it exiles a couple and just like kind of weakens them. And then it's like a acceptable sized body that is semi-resistant to certain types of removal and decent in board stalls when you're trying to kill your opponent. Yeah, I like that card for all the same reasons. Flashback cards are really costed and balanced around the fact that you can cast them twice. So by playing a card and incidentally just tagging one, mm-hmm. you get a ton of value that way, especially if you're getting something like uh, Memory Deluge, mm-hmm. which is the uh, look at the top X, where X is the number of mana you spent to cast it. Yeah, it's like a card selection spell with flashback. Yeah. Where on the front side, it's like, okay. And on the back side, it's dig through time. Yeah. And, and so just getting that hate kind of, for, you know, it's this is not exactly scavenging ooze, but like in that way where like you're playing a reasonable creature that's also hating on graveyard stuff and it is surprising how relevant that little bit of graveyard hate can be and i think sun gold sentinel does an okay job of that but it's not going to make or break any particular deck in the format or anything like that it's just a good solid card yep i i wish more cards in the set or in sets in general were like this card Mm -hmm. where they didn't need to push super heavily into themes where they just have solid cards that interact with them you know yeah i mean this like you know it it says coven on it like it's very much like 
doing a graveyard I mean, thing in the graveyard set and doing a coven thing in the coven yeah. set. Yeah, but it's not like it doesn't say the word flashback a bunch and mm-hmm. it's not costed really weird and make you make you jump through hoops. It's just like a normal magic card. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. Like the text on this card, it could be in like any set as long as there's some sort of graveyard stuff happening in the format. Yeah. Uh, my number four is Adeline Resplendent Cathar. This is one white white for a star slash four. It has vigilance. Its power is equal to the number of creatures you control. Whenever you attack for each opponent, create a one one white human creature token that's tapped and attacking that player or a planeswalker they control. So this is really similar to Brimaz, which is a card that I think people are generally more into than it is actually powerful. But the fact that, number one, this is a human, it makes a human creature token, and it triggers on the turn you cast it to make a 1-1, I think is like a really solid combination. Its power is generally going to be like three or higher because it's making all these tokens. And I think it can hit really hard and just like help you go wide and... It's a three drop that does something immediately when it hits the board, if you have something else on the board. And if it if you don't have something else on the board, it's still like a good follow-up to a Wrath because it creates an army all on its own. Yeah, that, that is one thing I actually missed with this card. Uh, I didn't realize that. I thought it was just mostly a tribe-shifted Bremaz. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that it triggered whenever you attack. Like, it, Adeline itself doesn't have to attack. It right. triggers on any attack. And, and that's actually a big deal in evaluating the card because it actually does something the turn you play it. Yep. And I think that makes a huge deal. And as long as white decks and particularly if humans are any good, like this certainly is going to be a big deal for humans. Even if not, if like white aggressive or go wide decks are are something, then I'm into this. Yeah, I'm, I'm really into any card that makes human tokens in a set with a couple lords for them yeah <laughs> my number three card is fateful absence one and a white instant destroy target creature or planeswalker its controller investigates uh i don't think this is like a wildly powerful card but i think that counter the like you know response to the hype is like a little bit overblown and a little bit too reactionary and you know people are like oh this card is so good and then like people who want to be a little more measured have been a little too measured in and are like implying that this card sucks and i just don't think that's true at all like i i think that like i saw somebody tweeting comparing it to like baleful mastery and i think that's a not particularly accurate comparison because this card is white and like baleful mastery is competing with a million cards like heartless act and stuff and it it also just isn't the same card even though they are similar. Right. Because your opponent has to pay mana to draw the card. Yeah. With Bale of Mastery, they get it instantly. And how much has a two-minute discount on anything matter to magic? Yeah. Oh, a huge amount. A gigantic <laughs> amount. It's been the difference between banned cards and unplayable cards. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I, I get the comparison between Bale of Mastery because there are some similarities. But it's clearly not the same card. Yeah. And also, it is in white. I mean, the key to using this card, I'm not, like, super hype about having a bunch of copies of it in my, like traditional control deck that wins with like casting inspiration type effects and like grinding my opponent out Uh, i'm a little more interested in it in decks that like if my win condition is something as powerful as like a teferi hero of dominaria you don't really care if any if your opponent starts taking time to crack your clues like then you and you slam your teferi and you're just burying them in card advantage 
or if you have some super overwhelming late game thing that just kills them, it doesn't matter how many cards they have, or if you are aggressive. Like, there's a lot of uses for a card like this that make the drawback, like, not that severe. Yeah, I think this is an incredibly good... I, I don't I don't think it's going to define standard or anything, mm -mm. but I think it's just an incredibly good tool for white decks to have. Yep. Where the slower decks can have it in the sideboard if they want that effect and are in... Like, they're not in black, for instance, mm -hmm. and they just want a flexible card. And in aggressive decks, you just can play two of these main deck most of the time and be pretty happy with that. Yep. And, like, blue-white control, if that's a thing, part of that being a thing is going to be having the ability to deal with cards like Arlen Cord. And that's hard to do without something like this. And I think it's Yeah, you can't be... rely entirely on counter spells. That's... No. Oof. Losing recipe, for sure. If you have a land come into play tapped at an inappropriate time or something like that and you just get run over um, but this gives you a lot of escape valves uh, my number two card is sunset revelry this is the new timely reinforcements one in a white sorcery if an opponent has more life than you you gain four life an opponent if an opponent controls more creatures than you create two one one white human creature tokens if an opponent has more cards in hand than you draw a card I think it's generally going to be a slightly better costed slightly less just like completely overwhelming timely reinforcements that's kind of an effect that we've needed a little bit for older formats where timely reinforcements is just a little too expensive to cast these days i don't think it's like some people have been freaking out a little bit about it but like it's not that different it's clearly better but it's not that different from like that zendikar like two mana two one that you gain for life when it comes into play. Lone Missionary? Yeah. Yeah. It's not like insanely different from that card. It's better, but it's on the same playing field as that card. Yeah, basically. The, the two bodies is a big deal, but I think a lot of people who are over-hyping this card, which I do think is, is very good, uh, remember how good Timely Reinforcements was in Standard. Uh, that card was, you know, absolutely absurd. Yes. This is pretty different. I think I like the, the pricing and the effect of this card just like better for healthy formats so it's a more measured like even card like you can't play a red attacking deck and your opponent casts timely reinforcements and you wonder about all your life decisions leading up to that point <laughs> yeah. and drop from the tournament you know like right this card is like oh my opponent played a thing and now i'm gonna play a thing yeah maybe the annoying thing could come if like this is a main deckable card but that's like a pretty hard because like you could play a control mirror and you just like are on the wrong side of the coin toss and you just can't ever cast this card so yeah i'm fine with this if this is a main deckable card that's fine because it's not always going to do the thing you want it to do mm -hmm. luckily it will always do something like maybe you can uh, cantrip it in the mirror for whatever or make a make some soldiers or humans they make humans with that thing they've got to right yeah this it does shot. yeah but like it's not a dead card for main decking it, which is kind of cool as opposed to timely reinforcements. Mm -hmm. Where we have main decked it in the past too, like a coffee True. in some decks, yeah. I think that's more of a how polar that card is and when it games it's cast more right. than like a flexible deal like well, this card is. And that that's also like a Snapcaster Mage Syndrome thing where it's just like yeah. having one copy of this effect in your deck can mean that when you draw it, you get to cast it three times. Uh, and then my number one card, and my ordering is pretty loose on here, but right now what I've got as my number one card is Intrepid Adversary. This is the one in a white, three one lifelink. When it enters the battlefield, you can pay one in a white any number of times. 
when you pay this cost one or more times, put that many Valor counters on Intrepid Adversary. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each Valor counter on Intrepid Adversary, and it includes itself in that pump. I Maybe I am, like, misunderstanding how well this card is going to play out, but, like, this is a human. It's got lifelink, so it's great in aggro mirrors. It, like, functions reasonably as a two-drop, and then it scales as the game goes on doing the things that you want to do like on both sides of the card and that just seems like a really good effect to me i'm much lower on this card mm -hmm. i i still like it because of the reasons you said but i envision it more of a kind of a sidekick to whatever else the deck is doing rather than the main push because it is super duper flimsy i think that's the if this were a 2 2, I'd be so much more into it because if you pump it once, it gets out of uh, base frostbite or play with fire range. Mm -hmm. But paying four mana and still having it die to like a base shock is a pretty feel bad. Sure. And I, that, that's what kind of does it in for me as, as like a centerpiece. I still think it's really good. It's just a two drop that is a good card and a good creature type. Right. With long standing effect. And I mean, that's what I, that's how I'm envisioning it too, is this a two drop with additional value and i think that like in general like having your two drop in your opening hand is so good and then drawing your two drop later in the game often is so bad that like this fixes that in some ways that like you know there's a reason that like consider is my number one blue card just like cheapness and flexibility is like one of the things i value most in magic the gathering and you know that's that's what this is doing for me but I agree. It's just that I don't think of the three one stat line. It's mm -hmm. a pretty bad stat line. Mm. Like being walled by tokens, which happen all the time, yeah, is not a great place to be. I mean, yeah, that can certainly be a problem, especially because it looks like this is a token Z format. But you know, you are probably the token Z deck in the matchup too, and then so you just stall out the game and then let this thing be your like two anthems at some point. So, I, I don't know. Like, it might not play out the way I'm seeing it, but I have high hopes for this card. Uh, my list is incredibly similar to yours. Sure. I have Adeline at number five. That's the Brimaz copy of this set. Yeah. My number four. And you probably want to bump her up like a point after realizing that she makes a token the turn she comes into play. <laughs> I mean, maybe. It is still a double white three drop. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm still always a little reserved for that mana cost. <laughs> Um, and number four is Intrepid Adversary, the card we were just talking about because mm -hmm. uh, of the reasons I stated. Yep. I have Brutal Cathar at number three, a card I actually really like. All right, so Brutal Cathar is a 2 white 2 2 human soldier werewolf, so it has Daybound. Uh, so that the front side, the day side, is when this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Brutal Cathar, exile target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield. So it's, it's kind of like a Banisher Priest. And on the back side, the night side, it is Moon Rage Brute. It's just a 3-3 first striker with ward of pay three life. So the neat thing about this card, uh, in a previous podcast, I compared it disfavorably to Skyclave Apparition. Mm -hmm. And I still think that's true. I think Skyclave Apparition is an incredibly powerful magic card. Yep. And... You can definitely see it edging out Brutal Cathar in almost every case. But this is a human, which I'm hoping is going to be good enough. And the fact that you can stack multiple creatures with this and having it be easier to cast than Skyclave Apparition, just a friendlier mana cost, mm -hmm. 
makes me like this card a lot, especially if you can snag multiple creatures with this. It gets super overpowered. Uh, it's way more inflexible than Skyclad Apparition, though, because it can only get creatures, and Skyclad Apparition can get anything. Yeah. I do... I wonder if getting multiple creatures is actually a thing that will happen, or if that's, like, a an impossible goal in constructed magic. So, I think it's not impossible, because if this card flip, It's really easy to flip the first time to the night side, uh, and while it's on the night side, it's really good at attacking your opponent. Mm-hmm. Like, a 3-3 first striker is... It, very large they don't really print three power first strikers yeah. because they're just so hard to deal with in combat and if this card can take over small battlefields like that uh you'll enter a point where you can cast two spells and snag another creature again yeah. so that's not that unlikely to me it feels like it probably doesn't end up working out that often but i do like the banisher priest that has the ability to turn into a combat relevant creature card yeah i think that's the most important part of it yeah not just like because if this was just banisher priest that flipped into another 2-2 on the back and then flipped back and exiled stuff every other time it just wouldn't be that good because right. dice whatever and they get everything back but having it be like a real threat mm-hmm. uh makes this way more interesting to me sure again i think skyclave apparition probably just eclipses this but this card is neat and i like it yeah that's fair uh, my number two is Sunset Revelry, the Timely Reinforcements new card. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my number one is Fateful Absence. Sure. Uh, that's not like a, I think this is the best white card ever kind of deal. I just think it's the most important white card in the set. Yeah. Yeah. It'll let you do things with decks that like you'd have big glaring weaknesses otherwise. And that's really important for standard. It's kind of like the Assassin's Trophy thing everyone's freaking out over. Mm-hmm. The card is good. It's just not, you know, the best thing ever. And that's fine. Yeah. Like, there's there's a lot of space between a good card and, you know, Jace the Mind Sculptor defining staple. <laughs> like, that, that's fine. <laughs> they don't they all need to be Jace the Mind Sculptor. No, in fact, most of them should not be. <laughs> yep. I also should have gone with Oko as an example, because it's way more recent. But yeah. no one wants Oko. So. Yeah, and people like at this point can get kind of nostalgic for jace especially because most people didn't play with jason standard and it's like totally fine in other formats right now yeah it's like not even like insanely powerful in cube anymore it's just a good card so people are like cuban with it and like yeah jason my sculpture that card's great <laughs> did you have anything in white you wanted to to give a shout out to uh nothing in particular the only other one was that, that was not on my list was Brutal Cathar, and you already called that one out, so. Yeah, cool. I, I didn't have anything either. Just wanted to... I wrote down Sigarda Splendor for some reason, because I like that it is kind of like a one-sided howling mine, but it's so slow and constructed, there's no way it makes a, yeah. an impact. I mean, that's probably a cube build-around card that is, like, really sick, though, so. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of excited. That's uh four-mana enchantment that you note your life total when it enters the battlefield, and then at the beginning of your upkeep, I'll just, I guess I just read that. At the no, no, if you have your... the same life total or a greater life total that you, that you did when you noted it, you draw a card. And then you note your life total again. Right. So as long as you aren't lower than the last time. And then when you, whenever you cast a white spell, you gain one life. So this is a sweet build around for limited or cube or whatever. So I don't even really think you need to build around it in limited. It's just good that in much. limited, yeah. It's just good in limited. Yeah. 
because board stalls happen a lot. I don't know this format in particular, but board stalls do have, tend to happen way more often in limited constructed. Yeah, and cards like this break it pretty well. Yeah. All right, blue. Blue was a little harder for me. Me too. Yeah. I uh, blue is traditionally one of the stronger colors in Magic, and they have definitely made some efforts to keep it tamped down in the recent sets. Mm-hmm. So my number five is Suspicious Stowaway, mm-hmm. which is a one in a blue one one human rogue werewolf. Uh, Suspicious Stowaway can't be blocked. Uh, whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card, then discard a card. And on the back side, it is Seafaring Werewolf, a green card now that just can't be blocked, just like the front side. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you just draw a card. You don't have to discard it. And that side is a 2-1. So its front and back side are basically the same. Uh, you just get an extra point of power. You don't have to discard. Well, that's a big difference. The difference between a looter and an Ophidian is like pretty gigantic. Yeah, it's large, especially if you can build a deck where this card is playable mm-hmm. in like a flash style deck. Flash decks are usually pretty good at manipulating the time of day because it's really easy to go to night if you just pass your turn. Yeah, with cancel up. Yeah, done. Yeah. And then you flip over your Seafaring Werewolf, one of the best card names hidden on the back of the card in the set. <laughs> it's such nonsense. It's not. Seafaring doesn't mean like. I'm on a boat. Like, seafaring <laughs> means, like, I can navigate this boat. Like, I am comfortable at sea. I know what I'm doing. This is just a stowaway that turned into a werewolf and is now eating the crew. Like, it's not <laughs> seafaring. <laughs> well, we don't know this werewolf's credentials. Like, it could be a seafaring werewolf. Just happened to stow away on this one ship this one time. It's not acting in a manner befitting a sailor on a ship, though. It's just about to eat a guy. Well, it's a werewolf, though. So, like, maybe it eats the guy and then, you know, puts on his clothes, infiltrates the crew. (laughs) Don't mind me. Just a seafaring person over here. (laughs) Uh huh. Uh, this card at base value, though, is just kind of like what I said. I I don't really, it's like Luteral Core. Mm-hmm. where it's a two drop you can play with relatively low opportunity cost and then it gets you some advantage over time and if you load on the backside, it's incredible but if you can build a deck where it's you know mostly spells and cancels and flash cards to flip this to get your engine going that's basically the uh the one drop into curiosity combo yeah just in one card yeah yeah that's i mean that's the place where i'm excited about this this is also number five on my list like i don't think it's ultra powerful and it's vulnerable to all of the cheap removal and it is the type of two drop that you know you cast it and then it dies to their one mana spell and that didn't feel very good but when it works it's like exactly the type of thing like it it fits really well into the plan of a flash deck so uh my number four is spectral adversary which is a 1U21 creature spirit with flash and flying. Uh, when there's the battlefield, you can pay one or a blue any number of times. When you pay that cost one or more times, you put that many counters, plus one plus one counters on it, then up to that many other target artifacts, creatures, or enchantments phase out. Uh, this is just kind of in the same vein of Suspicious Stowaway. It's it's a flash card with a generically good, of, like it's a good stat line, two mana, two, one flash flying. And it's got a generically good effect into late game where it can protect you by phasing out their stuff 
if you want to survive damage from combat, you can protect your own stuff from removal by phasing out your guys. Uh, and then it gets bigger while it's doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, these decks, like flash decks in general, just typically suck at using their mana sure. in large amounts. So any cheap card that lets you dump a bunch of mana into it for a good effect is desirable. Sure. No, I think this card is fine. I'm not like super, super pumped about it in anything in particular, but it'll probably do some neat stuff. Remove blockers, save guys from removal, have a reasonable stat line on itself. And yeah, it seems fine to me. Uh, my number three is the only card I cheated with. It's, a, it's Delver of Secrets, which is a reprint. Uh, I just kind of have to continue my flash theme because it's the only deck I think Delver will be good in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Delver of Secrets is a, a blue mana 1-1 human wizard. At the beginning of your upkeep, you look at the top card of your library, and if you want to, reveal it. If you reveal it in instant sorcery, you flip it, and it's a 3-2 flyer on the other side. Uh, this card sucks. <laughs> unless you're playing an incredibly large density of spells, or you don't really care what you're doing with your first turn, and you need to put something on the table. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the flash decks typically fall. Yeah. They just want to do anything on turn one. Yep. So yeah, Delver Secrets is going to be that, and that's kind of it. There's not—I don't think there's going to be any like Delver decks like there were in the past, mainly because you don't have any of those spells at all. Right. We just can't <laughs> have that density huge. of spells in our deck in standard. It's unavailable to us. Yeah, and and Delver's good in Popper too because you do have like Ponder and such, and the threats in that format are so slow that even Delver flipping slowly is still good enough, Yeah, which is not going to be the case in Standard either. So you really need to mean it if you're going to Delver people. It's kind of like a throwaway card that you can get value out of, and that's kind of how I have to evaluate it. Sure. My number two is Memory Deluge. Deluge. I don't know how to say that word. You're close enough. (laughs) You're not going to correct me. You're just going to let me keep being wrong. It's just Deluge. Okay. Uh, it's a 2UU instant. Look at the top X cards of your library where X is the amount of mana spent to cast the spell. Uh, put two of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order, and it's got flashback for 5UU. So the first time you cast this, you look at the top four and you put two in your hand, kind of like a, a Glimmer of Genius a little style better. effect. Yeah. It's, it's better than Glimmer of Genius for sure, but yeah. And then the... Flashback card, you look at the top seven and you put two, which is the dig through time effect. Uh, this is probably one of the better inspirations they've printed mm-hmm. into standard, just because it of the great card selection on the front end. Uh, top four, put two in your hand is pretty good. But that's a little slow. Like Inspiration is a four mana card, so you really have to be taken over the game in some other way. Like when Glimmer of Genius was a good card, uh, you got back the tempo you lost by just slamming a gear hulk and casting something else right which was a huge jump ahead so you need to make sure you can leverage memory deluge with doing something you can't just like, cast this card a bunch and then hold open counter spells right i mean as long as the interaction is cheap enough though like this can just be really good in a deck with enough cheap ways to keep up because it's got its own like massive end game card advantage thing attached to it so and for what it's worth i also like this with cards like galazeth prismari mm-hmm. where it's just a, a good creature that helps you cast cards yeah so you can offset things like that as well i'm really excited for galazeth prismari in upcoming standard i think that card's going to be very good i i like galazeth a lot 
I don't, I don't remember how I evaluated it when Strixhaven came out. I think I liked it then, too, because mm-hmm. it just made a treasure, and I was really big on free tokens yeah. that made mana. <laughs> I mean, I think like we acknowledge that it would not quite come to its full potential in that standard, though. Yeah, when Elthron of Eldraine was legal. Yeah. I, I'm excited for it upcoming, though. That, that card is nice, yep. and it goes into a lot of shells i like to play where you're like not quite a control deck not quite a mid-range deck you're like somewhere in between mm-hmm. and that that's a neat space to be for me yep and you get to play it with stuff like portable hole that gives you free mana potentially mm-hmm. and i'm pretty excited for that so yeah yeah i think there's cool stuff happening does just mana work i think you so just got do you have to play snarls no i think you just play a lot of slow lands and it's fine well, okay, I guess you can't play a lot of slow lands in Jeska. I guess, yeah, the the, you, the you wedges are just pair. really tough, huh? Yeah. Yeah, wedges are way harder than shards. But, I guess the shard mana bases are probably going to be really easy, and the wedge mana bases are going to be really tough for until hopefully we finish out the cycle or something. I'd, I'd be pretty jazzed to get a five other slow lands in the next Anastrot set. Just, yeah. For the love of God, complete a cycle. <laughs> uh, yes. Please don't make me run snarls in my Jeskai control deck that sounds really miserable I promise you I will never play a snarl in standard (laughs) I'm going to try my darndest not to do that I very purposefully did not craft or order any (laughs) I will never own a snarl yeah that's fair well yeah memory deluge decent card yeah it's it's just a good card maybe I'm a it just does what it does, and it's not super exciting. It's just a good card selection, a card advantage card. That's yeah. kind of it. One thing to note about it is that the wording does mean there's, like, no cheating at all with this card. Like, you can't gear hulk it in, like, if you want to play it in, like, Historic Jeskai or something like that. You can't gear hulk it. You will look at the top zero cards of your library and put two of them into your hand. But you can't put two of zero into your hand. Right. So you just don't, you don't do anything. Oh. My number one card is not a shocker. It's Consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, blue mana instant. Look at the top card of your library. You can put that card into your graveyard. Draw a card. Uh, it's just a blue cantrip. With a re- I mean, Oft was really, really strong. and has been for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a glue card that's really good. And Consider is much better than Oft. Yeah, I mean, Oft isn't really a good card unless you are doing something with it. So if you're doing Phoenix with it, if you just, like... If you need to make spell triggers for whatever reason, then opt is a good way of doing those. It's not really exciting or good in like just control decks or when you're just trying to put stuff together. Uh, And then what consider does is it's that effect, but there are more decks that it has a synergy with that would make you want to run this card. You know, it's not just spell triggers, although it does the same work as opt in all of those decks. But if you have any graveyard synergies, then it's that much better uh, and yeah it's also gives a critical mass of cantrips in like historic you know you're not upgrading your ops to considers in historic you're upgrading your uh warlords furies to considers in historic (laughs) and that's a gigantic upgrade so especially on your mana base yeah yeah. (laughs) did you okay you got you had to have something i missed because i did delver make your list i'd be surprised i did not put delver on my list no uh, so my number five was Suspicious Stowaway. Um, and also just to note that this has a lot of potential, not just in flash decks, but also as a juke card in uh, Control Mirrors, uh, boarding it in as a threat if, you know, to punish people for going down on removal seems fine. Uh, my number four, and this isn't actually a playable magic card, but it's just got such big text on it that I couldn't really ignore it. 
So this is uh, Lear, Disciple of the Drowned. Three blue, blue. <laughs> three, four, legendary human wizard. Spells can't be countered. Each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard has flashback. The flashback cost is equal to that card's mana cost. Uh, in formats where this would be good, Past in Flames is probably just better at what this does. But, and, and you know, you can't use it. It specifically stops itself from being used the way that we used, like, Dralnu many many years ago in standard to just like no one no one who's listening even knows what draw new is draw new lich lord <laughs> was a card that you could tap to give a spell in your graveyard flashback and it was used in extremely counter spell heavy control decks that didn't really have win conditions except for like mystical teachings for stuff over and over again and then eventually kill your opponent with just like whatever this does not allow you to do that. You don't get to play a control role with this. You have to have proactive cards in your graveyard. And, you know, most formats we don't have rituals and stuff in. The formats we do have rituals in, we have passed in flames. But being able to cast all the stuff out of your graveyard is potentially really good. So, who knows? I don't have specific ideas for this. And most of what I want to do with it, like probably better off doing with underworld breach or whatever but yeah it's it's just being a five mana sorcery is rough mm-hmm. especially a blue one yep that's yep not necessarily for standard because dispute is rotating but yeah uh pioneer historic uh, yeah I, I think most like the way i would see this is probably in standard some spell-based deck that isn't playing counter spells that is just like doing some really proactive stuff with its spells and i don't really know what that looks like and if you are blue how are you not playing some number of counter spells but um i don't know like it seems like a standard power level card if anything i'm not sure how you use it but that's big text so i just wanted to talk about it for a minute yeah sure Uh, my number three is poppet stitcher Two and a blue, human wizard, two, three. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create a two, two black zombie creature token with decayed. Uh, decayed means it can't block, and when it attacks, sacrifice it at end of combat. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more creature tokens, you may transform Poppet Stitcher. And then the opposite side is Poppet Factory. And this is an artifact that makes all your creature tokens lose all abilities, have base power and toughness three, three. At the beginning of your upkeep, you can flip it back to Poppet Stitcher. So mostly just what we were talking about using this with cards like Young Pyromancer, maybe in Historic. It, like, that is a pretty exciting use to me. And just there is always room for cards like this, potentially. Uh, we saw some amount of even se- of Sedgemore Witch see play in various formats. And this has the potential to do just a ton of damage when you flip it over if you survive with it safely. And that three toughness may be a key threshold level where it doesn't die to a certain amount of the removal in the format. So I I don't have a lot. I'm, I'm kind of lower on this card than I was last week mm-hmm. somehow. It, it just seems really hard to use to me. I, I do agree the potential's there, especially if... You compare it with like Young Pyromancer, so you can flip it really easily. Like flipping this card the turn after you play it is really strong. I just think it's gonna be you, you have to work to do that. Yeah. It is funny that the factory stops making poppets. Once once he's a factory, you don't make poppets anymore. You only make poppets when he's a poppet stitcher. 
so this is a this is a story it's like a camera the zoom where we start in you know individual perspective the stitcher he's he's doing his work in the factory Mm -hmm. making some zombies and then when you zoom out to the factory you can't see the stitcher anymore so you can't make it you can't see him making poppets and because you're just looking at a building all all the the things they've made are just depersonalized so they just lose all their abilities (laughs) that's the story okay fair enough (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it does have several things working against it. Being a three-mana young pyromancer is generally, like, it can be hard to leverage. Being a, like, the fact that the tokens often can't block is a a lot of the purpose of tokens getting lost there. So you really do need to be able to transform this. And that is kind of slow. You know, you cast it, pass the turn, it's your turn. You make tokens. Hopefully you make three of them, but that's even kind of hard. You pass the turn. And then if he survives until then, you can flip it and make your guys three threes. So that that might be a big ask, but you know, the the ceiling is really high. So plus, if there is, well, uh, decay tokens are interesting because they're costed really cheaply. Mm-hmm. Like getting decayed zombies is really easy. Yeah, in, ter- in like relative terms of mana. Uh, so I was gonna offer an opinion that like with zombie tribal in this set and the next one mm-hmm. you could start crafting ways to use the decayed stuff just as bodies but this card is really wants you to play spells so maybe that's also a right a whiff <laughs> but i mean this card is also just really good with other tokens and maybe with other decayed token makers of some sort so because it is easy to make a bunch of decayed zombies uh, and then my number two is memory deluge and my number one is consider and, you know, for all the reasons that we talked about for those cards, just pretty obviously good at what they do. Card draw spells. They're still good. Yep. Uh, moving on to black, my number five card. And black was a little bit thin, too, which is a little surprising for an Innistrad set. But we, we still got there on there. I think this is mostly the red green set. And the next one is <laughs> going to be the black red set i guess wow red gets a lot in well, yeah red is really good in this set i could not pick five cards it was really hard. yeah there's a lot of good red yeah. cards. Uh, my number five black card is infernal grasp one in a black instant destroy target creature you lose two life this card is narrower than you might think on first read it does kill everything but it is pretty bad at killing not even just like some stuff but literally anything in some matchups it feels bad to cast this card. But being a catch-all is worth quite a bit. Killing Goldspan Dragons with this is going to happen a lot, and it's going to be really important to be able to do that, and, you know, this does it. So take your lumps, take your two damage. Try not to cast more than, like, one or two of these per game, though. Yeah, there's not... I don't think there's a bunch of life gain just baked into normal cards so you're you're really gonna be precious of your life to if you're trying to kill stuff or kill your opponent shortly thereafter you can play the timely reinforcements with this probably <laughs> you probably don't get the humans though because you just killed a thing yeah well you killed one thing <laughs> you're just letting yourself get run over Ugh. so you can get your full value uh well here's a way to gain life my number four is Graveyard Trespasser. Two and a black for a 3-3 human werewolf with ward discard a card. 
Whenever Graveyard Trespasser enters the battlefield or attacks, exile up to one target card from a graveyard. If a creature card was exiled this way, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. That is the Daybound side. And the Nightbound side is... Graveyard Glutton. It also has Ward, discard a card. Uh, and whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, exile up to two target cards from graveyards. For each creature card exiled this way, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. And it has Nightbound. So definitely a little bit of a Death Gorge scavenger feel on there. But the actually like the draining opponent for each creature card you exiled, like that can add up. That's like a lot of life loss. Like if you even just this entering the battlefield, not flipping and attacking once is like drain two and I'm attacking with a three three. And like that's a lot of damage. I, I love this card. Mm -hmm. It's actually my number one <laughs> in black. Uh, it's just got good stats. It's really easy to cast. It all of those effects adds up. Like it hates the graveyard incidentally while just being a good statted creature. It got it has the drain stuff. Like it's just got good. It has no downside. It's even hard to target. Right. Like like the one of the problems with Death Deathguard Scavenger is like yeah I'll play this I'll exile that thing from a graveyard I need to keep exiling. Oh you killed it. But like this they two for one themselves when they kill this thing. Yeah, and if it flips it's. It's still kind of a nightmare because it doubles its output of draining. Yeah. Uh, the cool thing is you can, on the backside, because you can exile two cards, you can pick different graveyards. Right. So you're not locked into that thing. Some cards have you pick one graveyard and exile cards, where like if one player is now two creatures in their graveyard, you, you kind of lose value. Mm -hmm. This card's not like that. You can do it from each graveyard. Yep. No, I, yeah, I, I do think this card is really strong. It also helped that a lot of the black cards were non-competitive with it to me like black is thin in the set but yeah th this card i i really really enjoy that's fair i i do think that like my top three cards are competitive with it for just like things at least exciting to me in ways that like, I, i'll be happy to have these in a deck if i can make a deck with them in it so my number three is the meat hook massacre this is x black black for a legendary enchantment when it enters the battlefield, each creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn. Whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, you gain one life. I think this is like a really interesting way of getting blood artists into a deck without having to like spend slots on just blood artist effects. Uh, in particular, if you're doing combo-y stuff, like in Historic, if you're doing like Vesper Lark combo or something like that, this gives you a way to kill them with a slot that is doing more than just that. It is mana hungry if you actually want to use it for any purpose, but I do think that the sacrifice stuff that we have, particularly in Standard right now, does tend to lean towards making treasures. So this is actually like potentially a pretty effective removal spell and kind of interesting to see like what kind of sacrifice deck can come out of a, a deck that just naturally has a bunch of sweepers in it. Like that's not really a form of sacrifice deck we've seen before. So I think this card is pretty good and at least like fundamentally interesting. So I have mixed feelings about this card. Uh, on one hand, I really, really want to like it. I think mm -hmm. this is a fantastic enchantment. Just the ability to have an effect and then an ongoing mm -hmm. part of the game, like the Blood Artist type deal. It's really neat and really interesting. There's not really been a card like it before. Yeah. 
at the same time the the sweeper effect is just so expensive it is. it's really really expensive uh the best thing i can compare this to is black sun zenith which is a card from a long time ago but it's xpb put x minus one minus one counters on stuff and shuffle it back mm-hmm. uh, that card was played in standard uh here and then uh and the reason it was good is because the shrink effect was permanent it wasn't ever a good rate but even if you just did it for two which is a four mana spell like at least your opponent's board was crippled mm-hmm. right uh, this card does not have the same effect, right? Which means you really, really have to be leveraging the uh, enchantment aspects of it. Yeah, and I think that's maybe a little hard to do. Like, I'm, it's not easy, and it's certainly not easy to do that and utilize the the expensive sweeper part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I want this card to be good. I really do. It just seems so clunky to me. Yeah, I mean, I think like you know the doing the sweeper for the right cost part of it is going to be most important when your opponent is aggressive and i think you can set up your deck in such a way that your deck is decent against aggressive decks and this card actually ends up being really good and part of that fact uh shambling geist in particular i think is just a huge way of helping you get there so if you start out with a shambling geist they have a really hard time attacking into it effectively and then whether that like kills two of their creatures because they have two x ones or you just get a treasure and that gets you one closer to just meat hook massacre kill three of your creatures gain three life now i have this in play is uh like i also want to like it i i i do hear what you're saying though like trying to kill four toughness creatures costs six mana like that's not not true no matter how many shambling guys no matter how many shambling gas you have in your deck i also hate that this card is legendary because i think it'd just be so cool if you could just play it on two mana and then the next one you could play on whatever you wanted and get them you know (laughs) yeah gain gain a million life like would that be that strong i i think it's almost more for flavor reasons and i kind of appreciate the it's the meat hook massacre not a meat hook massacre i feel like innistrad is violent enough that there are multiple meat hook massacres <laughs> so i mean i get where you're coming from but i don't buy it like i'm pretty sure the first meat hook massacre was when invisible stalker picked up a butcher's cleaver god i have terrible memories of that particular i just can't I love Innistrad Limited, but I don't understand how that interaction got out the door. Awful. Absolutely awful. I, I half expected a card in this set to be like, one you can't be blocked, ward, five. <laughs> just, <laughs> just very derivative Invisible Stalker. Luckily, they didn't do it, because that would have sucked. Yep. Yeah, just the idea of a creature that you can't interact with by removal or by blocking. All right, already bad. And then just an equipment that gives it plus three power and lifelike. What? Why? Guess I can't interact or race this. So, all right. So this game is over, but I have to sit here for four turns, just like trying to remember a way out in my deck. But there wasn't one. No, there wasn't one. Uh, My number two is Champion of the Perished. This is one black for a 1-1 zombie. Whenever another zombie enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Champion of the Perished. I haven't seen from this set the zombie deck that I want to build yet, but even not necessarily for standard, this does contribute a particular aspect to zombies that hasn't always been available it costs one mana which is a great price and then it you know while you're doing your like goofy zombie sacrificing 
shenanigans. This just keeps getting bigger and bigger and is just a, a big tall threat to go along with your like go wide stuff and removal and whatever. So uh, and and works particularly well with like buying back grave crawlers and stuff. You can keep putting zombies into play. So I I think this card's pretty good. I also have this at number two. I'm a I'm a real big zombie fan from the original Innistrad. I really liked playing those cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did a lot of research into the zombies in the standard for this one. Uh, the best one is probably Shambling Ghast, <laughs> which is the, the treasure-making one. Yep. Uh, otherwise, there's actually not that much going on with zombies in standard. There's Tainted Adversary, uh, the blue-black zombie lord of this set, which is not a good lord. medium. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't give toughness. And then White from the D&D set, <laughs> which is kind of a fine two drop it's not exciting mm-hmm. but it replaces itself so it's not like the zombie deck doesn't have some cedars in there but yeah we're really looking for the next set to kind of have this be a deck or not right pretty it, much the zombies aren't like some creatures with type zombie exist but there's not like here's the reason to do this anyway i mean champion of the parish is kind of that but it's not enough we don't have the like okay yeah here we have Cryptbreaker and Liliana's Mastery and like and Diagraph Colossus. We just don't have the pieces to make it worth doing yet. Yeah, like if we can the problem with Decayed in this set at least is it it puts zombies in play, which are great. And if I could do that and the Meatook Massacre with all the zombie stuff, mm-hmm. that'd be nice. But it's hard to get all those pieces working together as I see it right now. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I I also have Jamie the Parish number two. I think it's a a good solid strong card, and I'm really really hoping there's right way more zombie support coming down the line. Yeah, I mean, some sort of sacrifice zombie deck would be really sick, and I do especially like how like you could cast the Meat Hook Massacre, kill everything except for your champion of the Parish, and because it's just going to be big, and then it just gets to walk on through attack. Yeah. My number one is Jadar, Ghoul Caller of Nefalia. One in a black for a 1-1 legendary creature human wizard. At the beginning of your end step, if you control no creatures with Decayed, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with Decayed. I just foresee a lot of potential use for a 2-mana creature that creates a thing every single turn. Because you can use that thing for lots of stuff. Whether you're triggering Champion of the Perished. And the fact that the zombie has Decayed, obviously... You'd rather have two two zombies or whatever, but since this remakes the token every turn, it's actually like pretty good that it has decayed because this lets it, like, if you go champion of the perished into Jadar, then your opponent can't really like stop. They can't like choose not to block the token, so you don't get more counters on your champion of the perished. Like, you get to keep attacking. The token keeps dying, keeps coming back, and putting more counters on the champion of the perished. It would trigger any graveyard things that you have going on. And, the meat hook massacre. Yeah. So I, I I think that just as a two mana thing that immediately creates something else and then keeps giving you something over the course of the game. I just love this card. I don't know that it's going to be the strongest thing in the world, but I want to like it gets my gears turning. I want to use this really badly. Yeah, I, I also really, really like Jadar. Uh, he's number five on my list. Mm hmm. Uh, because uh, I did consider the interaction with Champion of Parish, but after my my delving with zombies, I didn't know how effective you could make that deck. Mm-hmm. And beyond that interaction, which I think is really good, 
uh, it's hard to assemble a way to use the tokens effectively other than just like attacking every turn with them. Yeah. And that's kind of what held it back for me. But I do. This is one of those cards where it's like a really good engine card. You just have to wait for the right pieces to come along. And I think it might also have potentially a lot of application in historic and maybe pioneer. Just like there are really good sacrifice decks already in those formats. The two drop slots are kind of like hinky. Uh, it's you're not totally sure what you should be putting in there and it's potentially like oh this guy that just keeps making more guys for me to sacrifice to stuff or whatever could be really good there i have been kind of fiddling around with i got murdered by a sacrifice deck playing the combination of chatterfang and the pirate that whenever a creature you control dies you get a treasure Cause, oh, Pitiless Plunder. Yeah, yeah. P- Pitiless Plunder, whatever that guy's name is. Because that's just Plague Wind. That combo is Plague Wind. And if you have a Blood mm-hmm. Artist effect or a Mayhem Devil, it is lethal. And like, I I, th- I think that there is something to that. And a card like this that works really well with both of those pieces. Like this will give you a treasure every turn if you have a Pitiless Plunder. This will give you an extra squirrel every turn if you have a Chatterfang. And then if it works well with other parts of your deck then I am, you know, pretty into this as like a little glue card for something like that. I hope that's good. I, I When you said his or not historic, um, Pioneer, I was thinking about the sacrifice decks in Pioneer, but they're actually just Bolas' Citadel decks yeah. masquerading as a sacrifice engine. Right. Uh, Prosper's Innkeeper is way better in that deck than Jajaro can ever be. Yeah, that's that's very true. Like the thing holding Citadel back in historic is just that the density of Prismari commands is so high that <laughs> you just like kind of can't cast Bolas of Citadel safely in Historic. And so if that ever changes, then that's probably what the Sacrifice decks want to be doing because you have access to all the same stuff and also Phyrexian Tower. Ooh, but you don't have Catacomb Sifter. It's true, you don't have Catacomb Sifter. And, and that certainly like helps your citadel be a little better once it's in play but you still I mean, generally the pioneer deck is just the is just citadel win the game immediately right and anything that scries like home sister really does that really helps you towards that end right but i think generally you still will you still win the game in historic as long as your citadel doesn't immediately die that you know that turn basically like woe strider is still a hell of a card yeah that's true but that's all my black cards uh we have very similar lists. Uh, my number five was Jadar. My number four is the Meat Hook Masker. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number three is a new one. It's Tainted Adversary. Sure. Uh, this is a card I, I like a lot. This is a one and a B, two, three zombie with death touch. Really, really good stat line. Uh, when Tainted Adversary enters the battlefield, you can pay two and a B any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, Put that many plus and plus one counters on it, then create twice that many two two zombies with decayed. Uh, this is also like a zombie tribal seeder to me. Uh, though the stat line is pretty good, just a two three death toucher for two and standard is like whatever. It's good, but nothing special. Right, exactly. Like it's like better than we usually get, but it doesn't like come down. And then it's like, oh wow, that is a big like Ooh. that that really does something to this. It's like okay that's a creature sure like sylvan advocate was good because that had vigilance and eventually just got huge mm-hmm. for some reason uh this is just the front side of advocate without the blocking <laughs> side so what what puts this on my list 
is the, the zombie interaction, the ability to make just a bunch of power mm-hmm. going into the late game. And that is, you know, I, I'm still looking to the future here. I hope I can play Chidari, Champion of the Parish, Tainted Adversary, sure. Cook Massacre. Like, I want all of these things to be in my deck and it'd be good. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, re- I'm still hoping for that second Innistrad set. But I, I like I just like this card on rate, especially if I can play it with synergies. And even if it's just a tokens deck, you you do need some rate bodies in those decks just to be maintain the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to do that to like enable the Mihoot Masker or whatever. Yeah, and I mean like five the five mana mode does set up an attack for seven on the next turn from one card, and that's fine. And hopefully you have a decent number of synergies in your deck to make that more effective than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The synergies is what you need. Like the ability to make a bunch of tokens with this card is, mm-hmm. I think, what pushes it. My number two was Champion of the Perished, and my number one was Graveyard Trespasser. Mm-hmm. I did not have Infernal Grasp on my top five, though I think it's obviously a, a fine card. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to run a whole lot of those, but sure, it fills a, a need. Right, pretty much. On to red. I get the, the first shot here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number five is a bit of a speculative one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I fine. Have... There's just like a lot of good red cards, and you just got to kind of pick out the ones that you are interested in. I have Smoldering Egg here. Okay. Uh, this is a one in a red 04 Dragon Egg def- with Defender. Uh, when you cast an instant sorcery spell, you put a number of ember counters on Smoldering Egg equal to the amount of mana you spent to cast that spell. Then if Smoldering Egg has seven or more ember counters on it, you remove them all and transform it into a 4-4 flying Ashmouth Dragon uh, with the ability whenever you cast an instant sorcery spell, Ashmouth Dragon deals two damage to any target. Yeah, any target. Yeah, initially I did not like this card very much because... It was really awkward to me to the front side isn't like thing in the ice. Like it appears kind of thing in the ice ish because it's a two mana oh four that casts spells and it flips. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that thing in the ice does all of its thing really, really compactly. Like you can play just a bunch of chief spells with thing in the ice, flip it, it bounces everything and attacks for a ton of damage. Mm-hmm. This card wants you to cast a bunch of mana worth of spells. Like you need seven mana to put in this card to flip it. Yeah. And once you do that, it then wants you to cast a bunch of spells, which kind of implies you want to be like cheaper spells. Right. Uh, if you want to like dome them a bunch, then then attack for lethal. So I think where this card actually excels is not in the thing in the ice. I'm going to cast my cantrips and then kill you with my two drop. It's more in the, I'm going to play normal game of magic with my wall. And then Ashmouth Dragon is just such a good control tool because it can point its damage anywhere. Mm-hmm. That you can play like a combination of uh, memory deluges and whatever considers or whatever, and each of them works with this card on both sides. Yeah. Yep. I I I think that it it is weird wording that like mana counting thing, and there's just kind of again no way to cheat that. You know, you can't like cast something for free. You can't like use madness like fiery temper for its madness cost only puts one counter on this thing, so you do have to spend mana on spells, but that can also help you if you flashback uh what's it called if you flashback memory deluge that just flips this so i think that running this in a deck with memory deluge sounds okay to me like i'm i'm pretty into that 
you do want some amount of like considers or something in your deck as well though because once you flip it over to Ashmouth Dragon you want to cast a couple of spells at least and you know ping their creatures to death I think consider and this card are going to go hand in hand because this card is really good with flashback cards mm-hmm. not only do flashback cards naturally just cost a little bit more mana and especially from the graveyard, they almost all flip this card yeah. instantly. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that interaction is really cool. The fact that like any card you flash back is going to put a bunch of counters on this thing. And then on the backside, flashback cards are desirable because they're two spells mm-hmm. <laughs> in one card. So you get a bunch of triggers that way. Yep. Yep. So like this card is certainly nowhere near the slam dunk. Just slam it on turn two, win the game with it like two turns, four, three turns later mm-hmm. kind of deal that thing in the ice was. But it is still a potent i'm gonna play this on turn two and you're gonna have to deal with it some way yep yeah and i ashmouth dragon is just gonna like ravage people's boards so i'm into this card uh my number four is burn down the house which is a great name for the card <laughs> it is i love it's, the innistrad devils I, I i really love like most of the devil cards yeah they're just like always in the background which is kind of nice yeah because you don't really think of it that much and then they're just like being mischievous all over the place <laughs> they're 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 evil but they're not mean <laughs> they're just doing their own thing they're not like trying to kill you on purpose they're just it's just gonna happen ruining it's part stuff. of what they do yeah so burnell house is a three rr sorcery uh with choose one it either deals five damage to each creature in each planeswalker or you can make three devil tokens, three one one red devil tokens with when this creature dies, deals one damage to any target, and they gain haste until end of turn. Mostly this is a sweeper. Yes. It's a three rare red for kind of an hour of devastation type of effect. Uh, just gets rid of all the planeswalkers, all the creatures on the board. Yep. And it's not dead when you draw it, and there's just nothing going on because yeah. you can make a bunch of devils. I don't think we've ever had a wrath with a buyout like this right like no never not that i can think of yeah usually wraths just do their thing yeah and the board is clear uh this one you know you can burn down the house or you can make some devils to burn down the next house i mean if if your opponent is like kind of you know you've cast removal spells you've traded resources they're kind of flagging out of the game and you just have this thing that okay i'm never i'm not gonna have to wrath this game but i can make these three devils and you know, if all your opponent has is like one planeswalker left after the stuff and you just kill it with your devils from like, holy crap, that's a really powerful use of this card that was a wrath otherwise. And the devils are still like the good version of the devil. When they die, they deal one damage to whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So if you eventually have to go on the back foot after you've made your devils, uh, putting a bunch of devils on defense is actually kind of difficult to get through sometimes. Yes. But keep in mind... Whether you're the attacker or the devil player, that if you double block with devils, that you don't have to kill all the devils with your attacking creature. And that can be really key to not losing your attacking creature. You do have to figure that out how to do that on Arena, though, which is not easy. Go into your settings. You got to uncheck the box. <laughs> you got to make sure that it lets you assign damage. Yeah, I, I really like Burn Down the House. Oh, a Chroma's uh, Vengeance has a buyout. That card has oh, cycling, cycling. Sure. But yeah, yeah, it's the only one I can think of. I'm not going to search through all the wraths in history no. to figure this one out. Slagstorm, you can three yourself. Uh, yeah? Starstorm has cycling too. Ooh, okay. Yeah, we're getting yeah. there. Okay, we're stopping this. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, my number three is Moonvale Regent. A card I think we briefly talked about last week, but kind of dismissed as being weird. Yeah. Uh, but after 
you know, read yeah, it. Yeah, it actually has text. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Movil Regent is a 3R 4 4 dragon with flying. Pretty good stat line. Uh, whenever you cast a spell, you can discard your hand. If you do, draw a card for each of that spell's colors. Uh, and when Movil Regent dies, it deals X damage to any target, where X is the number of colors among permanents you control. So the neat thing about this is that is that it has a bunch of extra text it's experimental frenzy (laughs) (laughs) like this this card isn't like literally experimental frenzy but it's very similar it's a four 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 of flying which is pretty good Mm -hmm. especially since it's so easy to cast and then as long as you have cards you don't care about or no cards in your hand uh you're just drawing a card every time you cast a spell yeah as long as it's not a colorless card i guess right (laughs) for some reason yeah (laughs) They just had to make the text on this card super weird. Like, you, it, this isn't a graveyard set, and it's Dragon, which are not really on Anastrad, but are anyway, for whatever reason. And then it's like, all right, colors. So I just want to play a bunch of colors with this card, and then when I die, I want to have a bunch of colors and play. And it's like, no, 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 no. You just play this as a 4-4, and you attack them. And then whenever you cast a spell, you just discard, keep casting spells forever, until you run out of mana, and then you yeah. know, your opponent dies. Just remove... Like, remove the, the second triggered ability from the card. Remove the, like, multicolor. Just make it whenever you cast a spell, you may discard the, your hand if you do draw a card. Like, and it's still really cool. And you're like, oh, I get the card now. Yeah, without it just <laughs> having this weird misleading thing to it. It's it's the same reason why I don't like the council's judgment. Like, how that card's worded. Because mm-hmm. it's one white, white, choose permanent exile it, right? Yeah. But it's uh, it so much nonsense. Will text. of the council, starting with you, vote for an and it's just like you know seven lines of text to be like, and mostly just lets the... like a new player get really confused and not understand and choose a thing and then have two of their permanents yeah, exiled. Two things exiled, yeah, it's the worst. And Moveville Regent at least is all upside, so that doesn't happen. But yeah, it's uh definitely suffers from why are half of the words on these cards like why? Yeah. And this card may be better than like number three that I'm getting credit for, mm-hmm. but in my defense, red is really good. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, my number two is bloodthirsty adversary, which is a one R two two with haste. It's a vampire. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you can pay two and a red any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, you put that many plus ones on counters on the adversary, then exile up to that many target instant or sorcery cards from your graveyard with conversion mana cost three or less and copy them you can cast any number of copies without paying their mana costs do we know why they've kind of switched up how we cast cards from our graveyard into this like exile it and then copy it and then cast the cop like why is that i don't know maybe someone just hates Grafdigger's cage I, like I, I don't know but like it's good for Grafdigger's cage to hit stuff like this it's actively like correct for that to happen and like why why print weird workarounds for the hate card that is important to exist like i don't understand i don't have a good answer for that great i imagine it's like to prevent weird edge cases with like unsubstantiating a spell you cast from your graveyard being inconsistent with how flashback works in that effect yeah but like i don't know that seems so niche (laughs) like who cares yeah I we should just have a keyword for like flashing back basically I think is is probably like what it is is like it's way too late for this now but like maybe a spell could gain flashback and then 
that flashes back the card and like when you cast a card from your graveyard you flash back the card or something like that yeah but it's and just whatever way too late for that uh, but anyway about this card itself yes <laughs> uh it's a two two for two with haste like robber of the rich mm-hmm. Uh, except for its ability is way better than Robber <laughs> yeah, of the Rich. It actually Riches. has other text. <laughs> <laughs> like Robber of the Rich, sometimes you get lucky and maybe cast the card. Uh, this one, you play a normal well, game of Magic, whoa. and if you huh? when yeah, you get yeah. lucky with Robber of the Rich, it's because your opponent forgot it had reach and attacked into it. Okay, <laughs> sure. I'm I'm attacking with my robbers. I don't want to be blocking with them. Well, you know, sometimes you jump block a shark and manage to like squeeze out a game that way. That's true. That does happen. I've seen it way too many times. <laughs> Sadly, Bloodthirster Adversary does not have reach, but what it, it doesn't have for in you know the keyword reach, mm-hmm. it it makes up for in having incredible amount of reach Aha, over the game. I see what you yeah, did there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just playing a normal game and then drawing this late and casting a spell with it or you know heaven forbid two spells with it mm-hmm. is going to be game breaking yeah and, and like honestly having the two mana mode on goblin dark dwellers is like fantastic because drawing your opening hands and your goblin dark dwellers decks it's like well Garbage. i'm playing all these three mana spells in my deck because i have goblin dark dwellers and i drew two goblin dark dwellers in my opening hand oh my god what but like you're aggressive you get this two mana two two haste that's so much better than having to cast it as a goblin dark dwellers also three three haste is like arguably a better body than a four four menace it at least is different enough that it's not like definitely worse yeah you know i mean because haste is incredibly strong there's going to be a lot of turns where you're glad that it is a three three haste like that's a punishing that's a ton of damage if you like kill a blocker and then add three power to your three power on the board for that attack like your opponent is in dire straits yep this this card is really i really like bloodthirsty adversary it kind of sucks this card is mythic because i want a bunch of them Mm -hmm. but yeah but it's probably already like 25 or 30 dollars yeah oh well this this card's just good somehow not number one on the list because i like the next card even more oh this is this card is only ten dollars oh nice okay cool i might just go ahead and get some of those right now <laughs> uh but the number one red card i have is reckless storm seeker mm-hmm. this is a 2r 2-3 human werewolf uh so we're starting on the day side obviously the beginning of combat on your turn target creature you control gets plus one plus oh and gains haste until end of turn so on the front side, you can just attack with it as a three-three if you want, and then it's on the back side. and then it's fires of Yavamea and a two-three for the rest of the game. Yeah, exactly. If this was just a front side, it would be totally playable. I think. Yeah, it'd be fine, for sure. Like pretty good. Yeah, giving creatures haste. Like your opponent has to deal with this because giving every creature you play haste for the rest of the game, or at least one of the creatures you play a turn at haste for the rest of the game is really good. Yeah. Uh, and then it gets even better on the backside. It grows up to be a 3-4. Storm-charged slasher. Uh, at the beginning of combat on your turn, target you control gets plus 2 plus 0. And still gets haste. But it also gets trample now, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all of a sudden, you're... If the front side wasn't good enough, like giving all your creatures haste and attacking for even more damage, wasn't quite finishing the game out, 
Uh, you can just push over their blockers with the trample mode on the other side. Really nice card. It's just the being able to change combat like this, and the fact that you can give it self haste so it always attacks as a three three haste uh, the turn you play it actually changes the card from eh okay I, I get this to like ooh this is a nice one because right. I've died many times to on crop casher which is a different card but still a three power haste creature. <laughs> yeah, and, and and that card you actually just like. A lot of times Sometimes don't, you just don't exert, exert it. <laughs> a lot of times it's wrong to exert it yeah yeah i and this card curves so nicely into moonvale regent if they don't kill this and then you play moonvale regent as a 5-4 haste flying like it's a lot of damage yeah and even if they kill the moonvale Regent, you still get one damage you dies. get that damage <laughs> uh yeah no i i do think this card is really really good and is just gonna be the three slot in any aggressive deck with red in it, whether that's werewolves or a mono red deck, it it's just really powerful. The it's super scary for sure in a slightly bigger like green red deck. Uh, in particular, curving this into a Seeker's Chariot is just disgusting. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So, I I yeah. like heaven forbid you flipped it before it goes to a Seeker's Chariot. <laughs> Like sometimes you'll just have the flip side because you you're like kind of in a board stall and mm-hmm. you're a knight and you'll just draw a card and it'll be a secret chariot and you'll just destroy them with it. Yeah. And if it, if it's knight and you draw this card, this is just a three mana five four haste trample. Pretty good. Not bad. It's like reality smasher kind of big deal. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with you that this is probably the best red card in the set for a standard, yeah. Oof, this, okay what did you okay what's hit me with your red cards there are a lot of good red cards in the set um so i literally had so i i just like had five and a like honorable mention and i had exactly the same five cards that you listed just in the same slightly order? different order uh okay. but you know i had smoldering egg at five burn down the house at four moonvale region at three and then reckless storm seeker and bloodthirsty adversary like I just like want to cast Bloodthirsty Adversary so badly that I put that at number one, but I think you are right that Stormseeker is better for standard. What was your honorable mention? My honorable mention is Cathartic Pyre. And so this is... Mm, one, which one was this? One in red for an instant. Choose one. It deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. And the other side is... Or, and the other option is discard up to two cards and then draw that many cards. I think this is just a great option for if you need a two damage, three two mana three damage removal spell and you are doing kind of assertive stuff so you might need a buyout for that when you don't need the removal spell in particular if you're doing graveyardy stuff like this is a great sideboard card for like phoenix decks potentially and the fact that it hits creatures or planeswalkers is a nice little bonus on top of just like it's not just a three damage to a creature you can hit a planeswalker you can hit a narset with it and i think that just being able to turn your removal spell into kind of a bad looting effect, but still a looting effect instead of removal spell. Like this is just going to have a bunch of application in small doses to different decks, especially with graveyard synergies. Yeah. I, I have a weird one. I want to give an honorable mention to as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's electric revelation. Okay. This is a two R instant. There's additional cost to cast the spell, discard a card, draw two cards and flashback is three in red. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tormenting voice. Where what's the instant version of that card? Uh, thrill, thrill of possibility. possibility. Yeah, so it's that with an extra mana tacked on, mm-hmm. 
but with flashback. Sure. Uh, I don't think this is an incredible card or whatever, but it is a workhorse if you want spellcast triggers and need specific cards. And I've definitely played decks where both of those things are true. It does kind of... <laughs> like Desperate Ravings in the first Innerstrad set was a card I played non-zero amount mm-hmm. of. Uh, and that card is not necessarily like better than this one. Yeah, it is a little more cost-efficient, though, which is it, it a is, big deal. Yeah. But, I mean, being able to cast... It was desperate raving since the discard was random. Mm-hmm. You had to look at your hand and be like, I guess I can just do better. Right. Like, I don't care what I discard. Right, right. And with this card, you don't have to worry about it. So that's, I think, worth the mana. If you want that combination of effects. Like, I, I'm not saying this is a, a haymaker or whatever, but I can certainly see myself playing with this card. Yeah. I think they could have printed this, like, given the mana costs, I think they could have printed this with just, like, di- as discard a card, draw two draw two cards yeah yeah uh, instead of the additional cost right. i think so too and that would have opened it up to be like really interesting as is it's not that but that's okay uh and also do want to point out that there is a strictly better shock in the set at in play with fire so one red one red mana instant two damage to any target if a player is dealt damage this way scry one immediate replacement for shock in several decks and a much better upgrade than like wild slash is to shock in pioneer man red is good in this set. yeah it's really good shall we green yeah all right so in green my number five i have and i'm not i so my number five i have primal adversary more because i just want to talk about this card than anything else i was really surprised reading through like the scg our standard picks article they had like the top fives from like all of their writers and the first like several writers had primal adversary as one of their top five cards in the set uh this is two and a green for four three trample when enters the battlefield you may pay one and a green any number of times when you pay this cost one or more times put that many plus one plus one counters on primal adversary then up to that many target lands you control become three three wolf creatures with haste that are still lands i i get that Yes, it's modal, so none of the costs have to be, like, the most efficient thing that you can do at that cost. But I'm just, like, not pumped about this at, like, any level of doing it. It does provide a lot of power. Yes. As long as you're playing it on turn six. (laughs) Because if you play it on turn five, one of your lands becomes a wolf, but it's tapped. Yeah. So you don't get to attack with it. Also, how how do lands become wolves? Like, how does that happen? It is weird, but it's definitely for, like, creature-type things. You can play this in your wolf-slash-werewolf oh, deck yeah, and for sure. a bonus like, out of it. It makes sense if it made them, like, elementals somehow. And it also makes sense if, like, forests could become wolves, because the wolves jump out of the forests. Yeah. But, like, you're not turning swamps into wolves. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Oh, also, for another slightly confusing flavor thing, all of the adversaries are in the same haunted house. Oh, really? Yeah, and they're all, like, each one, like, references another one of them in their art. So I don't know if it's, like, a duel to the death between five, like, they're all trying to kill each other or, like, what's going on in this house, but that's... I mean, one of them's already lost. The spirit is already Already dead. Already dead, yes. (laughs) But I just don't... And even after reading everybody's explanations, I don't really see this card. I might just be completely off on it. But, like, three mana four three is not good 
Like it was good with Bone Crusher Giant because you had Stomp attached, and sometimes you didn't cast Stomp, and you just cast the four three because you're playing against a you know a controlling opponent. You just need to get that threat in play. But even then, like Bone Crusher's body is better than Primal Adversaries. The triggered ability is worth more damage than Trample is generally. And then this just like big expensive effect. Like it's good to have Mana Sinks, but I don't. I just don't. It doesn't feel very efficient to me at any point. So I I have this card on my list as number three, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because I I didn't I wasn't super jazzed with green to be honest. But uh, this card I think is not that bad mm-hmm. because you can rely on just mid range green red decks being fine because mm-hmm. there's a lot of good like red and green gold stuff. Sure, uh, especially like Tovalar, which is a it makes all your wolves into Ophidians. Mm-hmm. And this card is really good at doing that. That's fair. Uh, anything you have that pumps wolves or has any wolf synergy, this card works extremely well with. Right. Uh, especially Tovalar, which lets you, you know, draw a card off Primal Adversary, making Trample really matter. Yeah, and I think that's basically where I'm at on it is like on rate, I don't like this is not a rate monster to me and I don't like it just as written, but as creating multiple wolves for something that works with wolves, I'm okay with it. Or, you know, it's your three-drop wolf that curves into your thing that helps your wolves out. Like, that, then that's fine to, like, increase your wolf density. I'm into it. Uh, but if you're not doing that, like, I just don't think that this is that impressive of a card to me. I think it's also a reasonable card for Renin 7, mm-hmm. which is a card that gives you a ton of lands. Sure. And wants you to use something with them. And Primal Series, like, pairs really well with Renin. Okay. Rin puts a bunch of lands into your hand and play, and then probably turns them all into creatures. Yeah, I can see that. Sure, because you just you need stuff that scales. Right, you need a and hydro. Rin and seven really wants good uh, scaling creatures, and Primal Adversary is one of those. Okay, yeah, I I could see that for sure. Just like in a general like mid range red green deck that's not doing creature type stuff or not doing Ren and six, like yeah, I'm not into it. But well, well, Ren and seven, or Ren and seven, yes. But I don't think there are going to be many decks like that. I think you're either going to be doing Wolves or you're going to be, if you're in green, you're going to be doing Ren and Seven. So uh, my number four is Death Bonnet Sprout, which is Ooh. adorable. Yes, this is, I, I like this card a lot. I, you can read it. I really so. like this card. It is a one green mana, one one fungus. At the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card. Then if there are three or more creature cards in your graveyard, transform Death Bonnet Sprout. And then the other side of Death Bonnet Sprout is Death Bonnet Hulk, which is not very cute anymore. It is a 3-3 Fungus Horror. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile a card from a graveyard. If a creature card was exiled this way, put a plus one plus one counter on Death Bonnet Hulk. I'm not sure like where this goes, but certainly something graveyardy. Like it's nice to start out with a one mana one one creature that mills you for each turn and then become then turns into a real body that can have like hate for their graveyard attached to it like it's just cheap and does a thing and like is a one mana creature that becomes a three three as long as you have creatures in your deck yeah i i like this card a lot Mm -hmm. maybe some of that is because it's very cute on the front (laughs) side so cute (laughs) and i like stitcher supplier-esque cards that fuel you towards a thing Mm -hmm. uh two there are two strikes against this maybe three strikes against this card for me uh, one is when you transform it, you lose the mill effect. Yeah. And you can't choose not to transform it. Like, as soon as you have three cards in your graveyard, 
it gets transformed. Three creature cards, but yeah, yeah. Three, yeah, three creature cards. Yes, sorry. Uh, which means you really want to like actually leverage the creature side of this ability, this card. Yeah, uh, and I'm not sure what deck wants to both have like an, a good rate three three and a, a slow mill card. Sure, like it's kind of a weird pair to me. But I mean, if you can find it, it is a very unique card, mm-hmm. and I do like that it it does the thing like it, it fuels the graveyard and is an effect which is nice yeah yeah and right i'm not picturing exactly what a 60 that wants this is gonna look like but the the three three for one mana based on some conditional thing is like a thing that is pretty good in standard a lot of the time so like it's weird because if this card were black i'd be really gung-ho about sure it. even still as a fungus instead of like a zombie or whatever yeah it but making it green it really has you stretch to like okay what am i doing with this the flashback colors are like kind of blue and red but right the the graveyard colors black mostly so <laughs> where where's this cute little fun guy going right. and green is like very much like lands and creature type matters kind of stuff and this its creature type is a fungus and that's yeah so i it's possible that it just never finds a home but it's so cheap and it's so cute so Hopefully. Yeah. This is definitely a card I'm going to put in cubes. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Any any cube with like any graveyard theme is going to look at this one. And I, I have already looked at it. Yeah. And, and one thing that like graveyard heavy cubes really benefit from, in my opinion, is the sort of like slow graveyard hate things. Like you don't really want to put a lot of relics of progenitus in your graveyard cube because that's just such a like weird big like signpost thing that's like gonna end the fun in this game right here but if it's a thing that you kind of work towards and just like is a grindy way of like keeping up with graveyard shenanigans so that's why i like cards like this or the uh the black werewolf for that sort of thing midnight scaven graveyard trespasser yes uh my number three is tovalar's Huntmaster. This is four green green for a 6-6 human werewolf. When it enters the battlefield, create two 2-2 green wolf creature tokens, and it's daybound. The other site, the other side is Tovalar's Pack Leader. It's a 7-7. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, create two 2-2 green wolf creature tokens. And it has two and two green, another target wolf or werewolf you control fights target creature you don't control. So this is a green kind of grave titan probably overall a little bit worse than grave titan because you can't always threaten to immediately make Make tokens on attacking yeah yeah but it's still like and yes this was a long time ago but there is a reason they haven't reprinted the titans uh because they are kind of disgusting effects and this thing does just come down and kind of like dominate a battlefield and turn things around pretty handily. And you can, it's a little bit slower. You don't immediately get the attack the next turn if you're not already nightbound. But having that activated ability on it does build in a way to allow you to pass the turn and flip it and still be able to use your mana in some way. Uh, I don't know how much room there is in the format for six mana green creatures, but like this is a lot. This is 10 power. It really takes over the game 
and if you can do six mana green creatures, like this is one of the best ones we've seen in a long time. So one of I I agree with where you're coming from. Like I I played with the Titans yeah. and they are messed up. Uh, this card is close to a Titan, not quite a Titan. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the neat things to me is that Lotus Cobra is in the format, and it was in the format the last time Titans were legal mm. with Fetchlands, granted. But if you're doing, wow, we lost Fable. Yeah, passage, we don't even we? have Fable. Man, passage. yeah, that's rough. I know. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. Lotus Cobra yeah, just six not, mana is too much. Just not a thing. Yeah. so i think the breaking point here for this card is is six mana too much right like can green decks go that long without ending the game yet Uh, like honestly this this is kind of why like primal adversary a little more than this card is because that's also a card that plays early and rewards you for going late Mm -hmm. whereas this card cannot play early yeah so we are losing elder gargaroth and so like hate that card uh, right (laughs) For sure. But, you know, a board stabilizing big green creature, you know, there's a vacuum for that. And it's very difficult to attack your opponent with creatures after they've cast a Tovalar's Huntmaster. So this may feel... I mean, six is way more than five, for sure. So, yeah, one of the weird things about, like, a board stabilizing card, and and this board being six mana, is that right below this on Scryfall is Renin 7, which is a five mana board stabilizer. (laughs) Makes a five-five and a planeswalker when it's a battlefield. Yeah, that's fair, but you know it, that doesn't necessarily like shut things down the way that like Elgar- Elder Gargaroth did, yeah. or that the way this Kevlar's Huntmaster makes a lot of power. Yeah, it's it's very true. Um, and we do still have Cultivate in the format, so casting some big stuff is not totally out of the question. What set is Cultivate? I in? think, or maybe. Oh no! You know what? No, you're totally right. It must just be in the course i know it was in the mystical archives but that's a a fake yeah yeah the cards were sitting out yeah yeah no you're right we do not still have cultivate so i am not sure how you get up to six mana consistently and this may just like be looking for a home but it also is a it it walks that line of like the castable reanimation target so if we end up with any reanimation stuff at some point in standard this is a, a place to go for that but we don't i don't think we have access to anything reasonable for that right now so yeah uh, my number two is briarbridge tracker tuna green for a two three vigilance when it enters the battlefield investigate as long as you control a token it gets plus two plus oh you know not like an incredible card but it's a reasonable body four three vigilance they'll have to trade for it in one way or another and then you get to sacrifice a clue and then it has some like synergies with stuff like it's very good with like a seeker's chariot the pandemic at tireless tracker hard yeah <laughs> this is no tireless tracker but it's still it's still okay I mean, so you don't have to convince me that much that a card that replaces itself when there's a battlefield is a fine card. Yeah. Uh, especially since it plays defense and offense with vigilance and has a lot of power. Yep. A, like a lot of power. Yeah. And it, it is the same stat line as the uh, primal adversary, just with vigilance instead of trample. Right. And it draws a card instead of have that modal thing. Yeah. And probably can't overload on like both of these effects in your deck so it just depends on kind of what you want i I guess like you know briarbridge tracker is 
Like, if you scale a little bit on mana, then yeah, you can, you know, clues are easier to leverage. But if you're going to be scaling a ton, then Primal Adversary does have higher upside. So, who knows? If you're a Seekus Charioting anyway, mm-hmm. like, so the weird thing about a Seekus Chariot's really good, right? And it copies any kind of token. So it can copy clues mm-hmm. and you're, it can copy Ren and Six Tree Folk. Yes. So if you're doing a Seekus Chariot and Ren and Six Ren Seven, I did it again. I know. I can't. <laughs> I, I will never be. I will never get it right. Like if you're a Seekus Chariot and Ren and Seven and this card, you're just going to have a lot of mana naturally. Mm-hmm. That's just what Ren and Seven does. And. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility to play both Briar Ridge Tracker and Primal Adversary sure. in that case. You're probably not at like they, four times each of them, but yeah. Yeah, I doubt it. Like, Briar Ridge Tracker probably gets the nod, but <laughs> <laughs> just because clues are way easier to leverage on an average board state. Yeah. Most of the green cards that I'm, I have been looking at is just like, oh yeah, this is good with a Seekus Chariot. Because, like, a Seekus Chariot is poised to be potentially the best card in standard after this rotation. <laughs> It, yeah, it's certainly one of the easiest like signpost cards. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just so good, so efficient. Yeah, and I I totally just like didn't get it when we looked at it at first, and then pretty quickly it was just like, oh wow, this is actually keeping up with the stuff in the format and is very good. That's because it's such a goofy card. Yeah, it makes cats. <laughs> <laughs> My number one green card. We have referenced it several times. This is Ren and Seven. Three green green for a five loyalty planeswalker. Four abilities. Plus one, reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all land cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Zero, put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield. Tapped. Minus three, create a green tree folk creature token with reach. And this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. Minus eight, return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. I love that this comes down, makes a big reach blocker that both protects it and you, and is generally sized one bigger than Goldspan Dragon. I just like this card as a pumpkin in the art. Yes. A lot of things to like about this card. Yeah, mostly that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, this card is just really, really, really good. Yeah. Like, she does a really good job of protecting herself with the tree folk. And after you get past that, you know, I've made a giant tree folk portion. Uh, you just put a million lands into your hand. <laughs> and there's so many good ways to leverage that in green uh, alone, not even getting into like what you could do with flashback or whatever. Yeah. Because the this is a mulch on the plus one. It puts cards into your graveyard that aren't lands. Yeah. So anything you have graveyard active, like the death bonnet sprout, I guess, if we're sticking to just green, <laughs> uh, you're going to feel that stuff really quickly. Yeah. I mean, if you plus this a couple of times, you're just like dumping sp- spells into your graveyard and putting a ton of lands into your hand which it comes built in with a way to leverage you get to activate the zero and however many lands you put like four or five lands into play or something like that you just have a ton of mana at that point and drawing multiple ren and sevens to kind of chain into each other pretty well like if your opponent never kills one the next ren and seven is going to be really good and if for some reason this card gets to ultimate uh, it's not like one of those win the game ultimates, but it's if the game continues, there's no way you're going to lose kind of ultimate. Yeah. I Like the game just keeps going on forever. I'm probably just going to make tree folk uh, like whenever I have the ability to do that, though. Whenever you have four loyalty. Yeah. So <laughs> you might run out of cards in your deck at some point. <laughs> and then you got to get them from you your You can't mulch forever. Well, yeah, it's true. But 
you know, the game will be over pretty quick if this thing just goes unopposed. That's why I like really like a Seekers Chariot with round seven mm-hmm. because making extra tree folk while circumventing like the natural uh, running out of cards in your deck kind of deal with round seven is really nice. It's, this is an unreal follow up to a Seekers Chariot. Like you play the chariot and they're just like, okay, I guess I'll like kill a cat so maybe you can't crew. And then you just slam this, crew it with the tree folk, attack, make another tree folk. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know how a Seekers Chariot spits out tree folks, but yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling that that's going to be a sequence that we're really tired of at some point in this standard. Maybe there'll be like an abrade or something to keep a Seekers Chariot in check. I don't know what the green hate cards are in the AFR because mm-hmm. I'm not too familiar with that set. Well, it's Burning I, Hands, which does kill Ren and Six, does kill the token. So, you know. Yeah, maybe. I mean... Red is good. The red is just a good color. Yeah. So maybe that can kind of keep it in check while people figure out other stuff to do. Because the best way to keep cards in check is just have better, like good other strategies mm-hmm. that don't get hit by the same stuff. Yeah. Um, but I will be probably starting out my standard explorations with Azika's Chariot into Ren and Seven because it just seems like kind of the best on rate thing that you can be doing out of what we're getting. Was that all five of your cards? Yep, that, I think it that was. That was all five of mine. All right, so our lists are pretty similar. I have a card different, which is my number five. It's Augur of Autumn. Mm-hmm. This is a 1GG 2-3 Human Druid. Uh, you can look at the top card of your library anytime. You can play lands from the top card of your library. And as long as you control three or more creatures with different powers, you can cast creature spells from the top of your library. So this is the... I'm not sure where we're putting this but it works with all the land mana stuff that Ren and Seven also does mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of card. <laughs> uh, I think what really pushes it out is that the other cards in the same space as it are just better with the other green cards. Like Brybridge Tracker and Primal Adversary, I think, are better with the Seekers Chariot and Ren and Seven. Yeah. And like, what room is there for a card outside of that? I'm not sure. But, I mean, if there's a card selection deck that isn't doing that somehow, uh, maybe you can play this one. Sure. Yeah. I, I I think this is the one that, like, we have the most room to be wrong on either way. Like, it could turn out that there just is a mid-range deck that is green and puts this into play and uses it as a massive card advantage engine. It does seem just a little bit delicate and a little bit, like, the game could just not really go your way to where you're leveraging this enough to me that you know it didn't quite make my top five but it's a powerful effect uh the rest is all pretty similar i have tovalar's hunt master at four that's the green titan <laughs> i've got primal adversary at number three which we talked about a lot uh Bribridge tracker number two my favorite little investigate card this go around and then renin seven like probably my favorite card in the set yeah <laughs> at number one cool mostly because of the pumpkin <laughs> entirely pumpkin based it's a pumpkin based rating system we we rate the cards one out of five pump or you know up to five pumpkins yeah there's the the green white duel it's got like a million nine or ten pumpkins out of out of five or whatever (laughs) the scale was it's really high on the pumpkin scale all right uh miscellaneous cards next yep so multicolor artifacts land yep all right number five uh the multicolor cards are a little weird because there is a big delta between the good ones and the bad ones. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, so it got a little speculative at some of the early ones. So for number five here, I've got Faithful Mending, mm-hmm. which is white, blue, instant. Gain two life, draw two cards, discard two cards. And then it has flashback for one white, blue. So it's like faithless looting, but it's not looting. It's it's a mending, and you're gaining life, and it's an instant, and it's white and, and blue. Yeah, not the best colors for this effect. They seem... They're carefully chosen colors for this effect. So I don't think this card's going to be a player for a little bit in standard. Uh, but I do like this in a couple places. Uh, if you can, like if mana gets better and we can play Jeskai a little easier, I like this card a lot with Smoldering Egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, just flashback cards get a lot of attention when you have cast triggers. Sure. And Smoldering Egg, Faithful Mending. Like the two life on top of Faithful Looting. And being an instance, you don't have to like do this during your main phase. It makes up for a lot of the normal downsides of just having a straight card disadvantage card. Mm-hmm. As long as you're getting something out of actually casting the cards. Uh, the other place is more pioneer based with uh, Niv Mizzet and what's that other combo card? Jeskai Sentency. Sure. This is a really good Jeskai Sentency card. This is, it's, yeah. it's really good card selection and two casts so you get to do your untap stuff and get really deep into your deck yeah and this card fuels uh dig through time exceptionally well yeah, it really does i can also see it in historic with god pharaoh's gift i think it's like probably a pretty big upgrade to chart a course in the blue white deck if you ever want to go back to doing that kind of stuff but faithless looting is definitely taking its lunch in historic in most decks that want to do this so Interesting that the one mana version of this card is better than the two Pretty mana Pretty incredible. Very, very analysis. <laughs> as far as like modern goes, I mean, I know that like, you know, Spike is really high on it. I'd really, yeah, he thinks that like this is probably the best card in the set for modern, which you know, this set isn't a very modern focused set. So that's, not I mean, I still think that might be say. true. But yeah, <laughs> I, I just don't really know what you do with this in modern, to be honest. I, I like I don't want to force this into an Arclight Phoenix deck. That sounds really miserable to me. We're not playing Is It Charm Arclight Phoenix, and yeah, this does have flashback. Like it's certainly better than like if you're ignoring colors, it's better than Is It Charm in a Phoenix deck for sure. But <sighs> maybe Spike is really big on just Ascendancy and Modern too. I could be down for that. I could be convinced. Fate Stitcher is like. A really sick upgrade to that deck, like over so over the, the pioneer version. But well, dig through times insane. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, but like the problem with Jeskai Ascendancy is I, I've played I own almost all those cards. Of course, I don't know what the recent versions are, but I, I've played it a few times, and it's super annoying to play. Like, there's <laughs> way too many triggers. It's way too fiddly, and this is from me, like a person who plays these decks all the time. It's just not a fun deck to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't think that Jeskai Ascendancy is likely to be particularly great in modern. Three mana permanent based combo deck. It's just You lost me at three mana. Yeah. My name is Luris. Yes. <laughs> Alright, go on. Alright, so my number four is Sacred Fire. Which is a red-white instant, deals two damage to any target, and you gain two life with flashback of four red and white. So six mana flashback, two mana up front. Uh, This card's not good, 
but <laughs> it serves a role mm-hmm. if there is any kind of red white like jessica i think is not playable as long as the mana bases that we have remain the same yeah but if we can play a Jeskai deck like I think we can, like if we can ever play Galazeth, Prismari, and mm-hmm. uh, the Egg, and Portable Hole yep. all together, uh, Sacred Fire is probably a good card to have in that sort of deck. Or if you're playing that Faithful Mending uh, Ashmouth Dragon deck, like you probably have some number of Sacred sure. Fires in there. Yeah, that's also a Jeskai thing too. Yeah. Like it. The, the problem with the Jeskai cards is that the mana is not very friendly right now. Yep. But as uh, but soon as we get changes, enemy slow lands, like I'm totally down to play some Jeskai, solar Jeskai decks. Ten years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took them forever to cast or to print enemy fast lands. Yeah, true. And they had fast in the name. <laughs> it's also really a weird coincidence that it was two artifact sets that got the fast lands, but then the second set of fast lands aren't like artifact themed in any way. Spire Bluff Canal looks really artifacty. Yeah, but sure. the other ones, yeah, it's got an airship in it. Like it's basically <laughs> just an airship. Uh, my number three is my good friend Sigarda. <laughs> What's her title? Sigarda. I can't find her. Sigarda, Champion of Light. One G White White. 4-4 Legendary Angel with Flying and Trample for some reason. Uh, human creatures you control get plus one plus one and whenever Skarda attacks, if you control three or more creatures with different powers look at the top five cards of your library you can reveal a human card from among them and put it into your hand and the rest go on the bottom in a random order. Uh, this is the Human Lord I, I'm into. I don't know if humans is going to be a thing but this is a really good curve topper for that deck. It's got a lot of stats yes. and it's a big anthem. Yep. The Coven ability is whatever. Like I'm sure it'll trigger, but it's not even the appealing part of the card to me. I do like lords that are great when you have creatures in play and also like fine if they've wrathed you and this is what you got. Like, here's my 4-4 flyer. Here's my Savellan. Yeah. Like, deal with it. It's It's got flying and you can't jump it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, can't, can't put any flyers in front of this thing to soak up damage. Yeah, there's a, a, a stark lack of 1-1 flying spirits in the set yes. for an Anishrod set. That's true. But you certainly can't jump them nope. with uh, Sigarda. <laughs> I don't really have that much to say about Sigarda. She's just a good on-rate creature sure. with some splashy abilities. Yep. If humans She's is not good, as fancy. If humans is good, you probably are playing some number of these. She's not as fancy as a lot of the other multicolored cards. Like, uh, Ludovic is a really cool one. I know. Old st- dick fingers like there's some really really cool legends in the set that just kind of suck mm-hmm. but sakarta <laughs> is just good on raid kind of boring <laughs> kills your opponent and that's you know that wins games of magic ludovic is dope though i i wish eh, for casual play it's fine uh, my number two is arlen the pax hope mm-hmm. that is two rg oh god i have to read arlen okay <laughs> <laughs> You've made so your Arlen's, bed. I have. I knew what I was. You wrote, you read Ren at seven, <laughs> so she has a day side and a night side, just like every werewolf. So if it's nighttime, she comes in on the night bound side. Gonna start on the day side. So she's two RG when you cast her. She always starts with four loyalty, no matter which side she comes in That's on. That's good. That's good design. Yes, thank God. <laughs> this card's hard enough to evaluate already. 
So on the day side, her human side, she has a plus one of until your next turn, you can cast creature spells as though they had flash, and each creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one counter on it. Uh, her minus three on the day side is create two 2-2 two, two green wolf tokens. And then we go to the night side. Arlen the Moon's Fury. Uh, she has a plus two on this side, which adds a red and a green to your mana pool. And then her zero on this side is until end of turn, Arlen the Moon's Fury becomes a 5-5 five, five werewolf creature with trample, indestructible, and haste. Oh, okay. Talk about this card while I get my breath back. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, just a pretty solid red-green planeswalker that is very good against controlling opponents and creates, like, huge headaches for them. Uh, comes down and immediately makes two tokens, so it is three pieces, three game keep pieces on the board, which is nice because uh, it's not easy to deal with all of those with, like, one card. And flips over into some, like, pretty reasonable threats uh if it becomes night she attacks for five also her plus one very good against an opponent who is trying to like counter your spells or anything you get to cast your stuff on their turn and also in a werewolf deck does make it that much easier to say go and turn it into night yeah arlen is really really good at flipping the time of day mm -hmm. no matter which side she's on yeah like the the human side you don't want to cast any spells so you can just plus her to give your things flash and pass the turn to flip her and if you're on the night side and you want to go back to day, like to make more wolves or something, uh, you just can add two mana to your apple. Yeah. Uh, she's really easy to flip on the night side. Like if you cast her on turn five or six or whatever, mm -hmm. and it's nighttime, you can if she comes in on the night side, you can just cast her, get two of the mana back you spent to play her, then cast something else, and then she flips back. At six loyalty, it's a really high loyalty total. That's true. <laughs> For something you just cast two spells to do. Yeah. Uh, and that's only good if, you know, the night side's really good at coming in, being a 5-5 five, five indestructible <laughs> haste creature, and then just smacking them as a four mana play. Mm -hmm. But if you can't do that for whatever reason, uh, you can just flip it back to daytime so you can get the wolves and then do play however you want from there. She, she does a lot of things. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's just a pretty strong card. And even in not like a wolf-themed deck, I think it's a solid option in a creature-y. I think in standard, probably most red-green decks are going to be heavy on wolves. But even if that weren't a thing, like she does, provides, she does provide a pretty significant threat against any like counterspell-based control deck. That's true, yeah. It's just, I mean, Planeswalkers are always pretty good against control mm -hmm. just the lasting value they provide sure. arlen just kind of cranks it up yeah i mean like really good at casting cards through control decks and really good at attacking them like like if you cast her and make two wolves and then their answer is the the new white removal spell like that's their planeswalker answer like you fateful absence uh yeah if they fateful absence like you've gotten your value out of this yeah they kill it but you just you also got four power yeah arlen's really really good she is red green which can be a little awkward but there's a lot of as we said really good red cards in the set yep and i'm sure you can build a lot of different kinds of bit rage decks that include arlen and different kind of shells whether you want to go uh seeker's chariot for more four drops and a more grindy game or if you want to be like more werewolfy if you want to go to Ruin Seven, you can do that. There's just like a lot of options you have in those colors. That is kind of an important thing to point out is that she does compete 
on cost with a Seekers Chariot. And I think generally I'm going to lean towards a Seekers Chariot. But if mm-hmm. I'm doing werewolf stuff, then maybe she is better and like, you know, I have like four Arlens and two Asika's chariots or something. You know, I, I don't know what the numbers are. I guess they're both. I mean, you can also just have Arlens as a sideboard card yeah. in an Asika's chariot deck because Arlen can do different stuff than Asika's chariot. True, and they are also both legendary. So splitting the splitting it a little bit isn't the worst thing in the world when you're a god, but you can only afford one chariot. Yes. <laughs> well, it's her chariot. There's only the one. So if she bought another chariot. That would be. Someone that just be the chariot. Well, why do you need two chariots? You only got the two cats. That is not true. <laughs> I don't know if you've played against the secret chariot, but you do not just have two cats. You've got two cats, another cat, a clue, a tree folk. <laughs> There's just all, all sorts of stuff coming out of this chariot. All right. My number one is uh, of no surprise. The slow land cycle. Sure. Deserted Beach, Shipwreck Marsh, Haunted Ridge, Rockfall Vale, and Overgrown Farmland. Uh, Overgrown Farmland's the best one because it has the most pumpkins. <laughs> but they're all pretty good. Uh, these are, This land cycle is just incredible. I, I know I was disappointed that they weren't the fast lands, but just because they're not the fast lands doesn't mean they're not good in their own right. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of disappointing that we're not getting two color aggro decks like enabled at all here but these are just really good lands and the dual lands are always important when they're not snarls but these ones in particular are very very powerful they're just they work perfectly with pathways which is the another really good cycle of lands yeah because you can just play one on turn one play a pathway on turn two play a fake then on turn three onwards your cards your lands all come to play on tap yep and you can have a ton of these in your deck and like worst possible case scenario is you skip turn one and turn two. And that's like not great. You usually want to cast something on turn two, but like that's the ultimate fail case for your lands barring like I just you didn't. have to draw like four, three or four uh, of these lands in your hand or have mulligan basically. Yeah. A bunch. And, and you didn't draw any basics or pathways, but as long as you draw one basic or one pathway and then the rest can be these things and then your mana is just like perfect as far as standard is concerned, or at least your, your lands are coming into play untapped. I don't know if you drew all the right duels, but yeah, that's, that's the thing. And I, one kind of weird quirk about these lands is that I don't know how good. So I talked about how shards are better than wedges in terms of mana base because these lands are way 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 better than the snarls yes. and so that lends you to wanting to play allied three color decks as opposed to enemy three color decks but i'm not sure what strategies are being lent to three color decks in the shard combo right now like i, I just haven't put that much time or thought into like what a grixis deck would look like for instance yeah i mean the third color usually gets added as you realize that you're missing something that you need for the format more than like I need I want to put all this stuff together into one thing because like in the two color combinations like I'm seeing the things that I want in red green okay we got like Asika's chariot things and and Ren and seven things or werewolf things and green white it's like okay here's human things like you're not we're not at that stage where it's like we need three colors to do this thing that's true yeah I, I will say that in terms of just magic holistically, mm-hmm. 
the allied shards are they cover a lot of ground but they do not cover nearly as much ground as the wedges do because of just how magic is structured like the different effects overlapping in enemy colors versus allied colors you, you get a lot wider range of effects mm-hmm. like that's why a soul tie just covers so much better ground than grixis for instance sure <laughs> like you just have way more effects available to you yeah yeah so yeah definitely the best like the most important things in the entire set probably are these dual lands my list is actually like kind of different from yours but not like necessarily that meaningfully uh, my number five, I have Faithful Mending on there. Again, I don't really know exactly what this is going to do. Not like super hyped about it for anything in particular, but it'll definitely find some uses because Flashback is really powerful on stuff like this. And by stuff like this, I mean on Faithless Looting, but also this. Uh, my number four is Arcane Infusion. So this is... okay. Blue red for an instant. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Flashback three, a blue and a red. So this is like a slightly smaller peer through depths. You look at four instead of five. Uh, You can't reduce the cost with like a Baral. So I'm not like looking at this for any sort of larger format purposes. But I do really like this in any deck that has uh, the egg in it. So I I think that a deck like that is likely to be full of various different instants and sorceries. And this can really help you like have the right ones and give you some card advantage and be not that expensive. Uh, You can't play too much of this effect, though. Like if you draw a bunch of these, that's really bad news. You're going to get tempoed out. But I, I do think this card is kind of cool. Yeah, I've played Anticipate far more than I would like. Mm-hmm. And a limited Anticipate is kind of rough. You really need to mean yeah. it when you're playing this card. Yeah, not because you, if you whiff on either the spell or the flashback, it's probably not worth what you paid. Right. Or it's definitely not worth what you paid. I think it's, if 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 you have a decent number of spells in your deck, you're not going to whiff that often. Uh, but yeah, like not being able to get lands off of your anticipate is definitely, uh, not my favorite thing in the world, but the flashback on this thing is definitely a big selling point, especially if you are a smoldering egg deck and can like make it work that way. The mana, spending the mana itself makes the card work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, can I interrupt your list real quick? Mm-hmm. Cause I just noticed something. Uh, so we talked, I don't know, several weeks ago about Champion of the Parish. Yeah. And how, like, the only thing it was missing is it wasn't a soldier. Yeah. Because Champion of the Parish is, and this card just isn't. Because mm-hmm. zombies don't have jobs, right? But Blade Stitch Scob, the zombie lord, is a zombie soldier. So, like, what the heck? Man, unreal. Like, what is how this? How could they do that to us? Anyway, yeah. you can keep going. I'm just going to be upset at this. Uh, so I went a slightly different direction with my here are my gold cards for a human's deck kind of thing. Uh, and so I have joined the dance on the list. This is green, white Ugh. for sorcery, create two, one, one white human creature tokens with flashback three green, white. If there's a green and white humans deck, this is in it. Like there's just no getting yeah. around that. I know, but I don't like, I it. know, but it's going to be really like, it's going to be the linchpin of that deck. It gives you multiple bodies. If you're doing Lords, if you're, like getting pumped by t- the amount of tokens you have in play. If you're doing the, you know, it, if you're doing a green white deck that has Adeline in it, like 
this is really good with that so so do you know the reason why i don't like this card because it's actually fine <laughs> it's because it's green white in the mana cost mm-hmm. and if this were like a one a white to green hybrid mm-hmm. i'd be super on board. yeah it's just but really it's just, prescriptive it, it's it can be very difficult to cast yeah. with the lands we have in standard. Yeah. Like, it's not guaranteed. Well, right, and our dual lands don't come into play untapped until turn three. Like, Right. Yeah. I, I, I totally get it. But... I mean, if you have one in your hand, you're going to be able to cast it on turn. Like, if you play it on turn one, you can almost certainly cast this card on turn two. Probably. But since you're going to be playing some number of basics in your green-white deck, you can just draw the wrong amount or number, mm-hmm. and that's a little awkward. Yeah. I mean, with four duels and four pathways you're like pretty close but yeah i i get it i hear you yeah that that's the only thing i have against this card it's it's just a fine card otherwise uh my other i have another green white humans card on this list i have katilda Donhart prime this is okay. green white for a one one with protection from werewolves human creatures you control have tap at one mana of any of this creature's colors and four green white tap put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control i mean this is you know cryptolith rights for your humans tokens and also this taps for mana which is a big difference from cryptolith rights so this is a two mana mana dork that also has like potentially huge upside if you go wide with human tokens and you know becomes very easy to flash back your join the dance when you have this in play and it's just potentially a ton of mana and the floor is this is a two mana mana dork. So yeah, I actually overlooked this card. I guess mm-hmm. I don't remember reading it before now. I I like yeah, Katilda's really neat. I like mana engines, especially if it makes join the dance a lot better. Yeah, and I, and I think the key is that it also taps for mana, so it can only be so bad. Yeah, and then my number one, I just didn't put the dual lands on my list because I whatever obviously like they're just obvious. So who cares? I need to just harp every single time, especially when talking about like join the dance being slightly difficult to cast. Mm-hmm. Man, that's just so important. It's so. Important. I mean, we've emphasized that many times in the past. Is that it's just the the thing, the first thing you have to look at when thinking about decks is like, what am I allowed to cast in this format, and how am I doing that? And yes, certainly the dual ends are just the most important thing from basically any standard set. Uh, and then my number one card, excluding those, those are my number zero card. Is is what it is. Uh, my number one card here is just Arlen Pax Hope. I just think that it's really powerful. And there's also Pithing Needle, which is important for historic purposes, potentially. Yeah, Pithing Needle is just a good card. It, not on my list because of its a reprint reasons, which I ignored for Delver because it doesn't even feel like a reprint. Delver in the past was so much better than Delver right now. <laughs> yeah, I am just not convinced that Delver is going to do uh, anything at all, but... Pithing Needle did not make my list because it's just yeah, you know, it's Sorcerer's Spyglass. Pithing Needle. Slightly different. Yep. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we head out? Uh, how gorgeous these basic lands are. They're great. Although I'm I'm down for like pretty much all of the land, most of the art in the set at all. This is a really pretty set. I I like this more than average uh, on the Innistrad scale. I'm not a huge fan of Innistrad art in general, but there's a lot of like jack-o'-lantern crossroad candle guide cards like that are uh winterhorn blessing mm-hmm. a bunch of cool color palettes being used that i like and i'm not a huge fan of the like dark dreary m- moody art yeah 
what I really like here is that there's a lot of Ujisa, really, really good piece of art. Yes. Yeah, no, she is amazing. I also really like, there's a lot of like kind of season heavy sort of art. There's a lot of like fall harvest sort of art or like Midsommar looking kind of stuff that just like tells you when this is happening. And and that is really cool to me. Like I really love the way uh, Cathar Commando looks. I really love, uh, I mean, Join the Dance, I think is fantastic, creepy art that is like really weirdly creepy for a green white token maker. <laughs> But yeah, the the basics are are very good for sure. Yeah, that that kind of wraps me up for this the set review. The set comes out on Thursday, <laughs> and which is two days from yeah, now. Yeah, so like the day so, that this episode comes out, probably because I don't think that I will have this finished by tomorrow. But well, it certainly won't. If you don't finish on Thursday, you're going to be too busy playing Innistrad that it just never will come out. Oh yeah. So. Well, what a shame that we spent all this time recording this episode then. Well, I mean, we'll just release it. We'll have a double episode the, the week following. <laughs> <laughs> I am excited to play the standard, though. Finally, Throne of Eldraine, gone. The witch is it can dead. stop overshadowing everything else in the format. We can cast some other spells that don't say adventure on them. Or, you know, I, I'm pretty pumped. I actually want to play some standard. I mean, I yeah, definitely feeling burned at this point and like hard to be actually optimistic that standard is good but i i do want to play with all of these cards so see i'm i'm looking forward to limited a little bit more sure because i i like a lot of the mechanics in the set mm-hmm. for limited stuff yeah they're interesting flashback and also i no longer kind of have an arena collection so all my standard play for like <laughs> a little bit is either going to be like streams for the first bit or locked behind a lot of fair time and or money fair 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 which i'm not sure i'm willing to go f- for just yet yeah i totally no uh, wait isn't there aren't collections free on magic online for like a convention coming up in a weekend or so oh maybe i'm pretty sure i saw something about Is that there like a pack like there's some something? convention going on and yeah no idea but could be a good thing to do yeah, I don't really have anything else. So thanks to everybody for sticking with us through this set review. We do really, really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I am at Lee McLeo. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Goodbye.